We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, good morning. What's going on, everyone, here in Twitter Spaces? You guys are listening to another live version of BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Remember, if you want to know the best way to support us and the pod is by pulling up Apple Podcast or Spotify and giving us that five-star rating and review. We always appreciate that type of stuff. Uh, this is Richie, and I'll be joined by Lee today to recap the game between the Hornets and the Heat last night. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on the Borrego and James Booknight spat, disagreement, whatever you want to call it. And as always, because we're here in Twitter spaces, we'd love to hear from you guys and take any uh, speaker requests and questions. So uh, we'll get to that as well. So, Lee, how's it going? First off, did you watch uh, any of the UNC Duke game last night? I did. I had I had. Um, so I, I went UNC Duke first half main TV. And then I went headphones in the ears for the Hornets and, and UNC Duke still on the TV with Hornets on my laptop. So I still had still had EC and Dell in the ears. And I mean, as most people listening to this podcast know, the uh, UNC Duke game got pretty ugly there early in the second half. So I kind of fully transitioned right. my attention for better or worse towards the Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There was not, I don't know if there was a better game to watch uh, if you were a Hornets fan or a UNC fan. So I actually went over to my friend's house uh, who is a UNC fan and we were doing the same thing where we watched the first half of the UNC game and then we kind of fully transitioned over. But guess what? I found a way to watch the Hornets game uh, and he has been doing this for a bit now and I, I didn't know that this was a thing, but if, and this is probably going to benefit our listeners too, but if you have Spectrum Internet, mm-hmm. you can line, you can log into Bally Sports app and watch the games. Really? Yeah, and I don't know if that's something that's new or if that's just something um, that's always been a thing. We just haven't figured it out. But go- So you just use your Spectrum Online credentials to log into the Bally app? Correct. It says to link wow. your TV provider, but even though it's just an internet provider, because I, I know a lot of people probably use Spectrum Charter, whatever you want to call it, that internet yeah. service, but they use you know YouTube TV or Hulu or Sling or whatever. But if you go to the Bally Sports app, you download it on your smart TV, you can log in and, and link your your account, and they you're you're able to watch. That's it. huge. 
That's great. That's breaking news, Richie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try that on Monday. So we'll see. So, all right, let, let's jump in here uh, to this heat game uh, where the Hornets lost 104 86. Uh, the record now stands at 28 and 26. We were talking pre-recording about, you know, is there a lot of in-game stuff that we can talk about here? And, and there's really not much to take away from this game when it comes to on-the-court stuff, especially in that second half. It was all downhill uh, once when that third quarter started. I think, you know, the Heat's defense, you've got to give credit to them. They've been a top-five defense all season, and they are definitely on a string when you play them. Like, when one player gets beat, they had all other four guys like shifting their attention and putting up a wall to stop any kind of further penetration. They do great on closeouts. You know, just give credit to the Heat for frustrating the Hornets. And totally. it's a thing like where the Hornets play teams that have good defenses. I think that's the worst possible recipe for them. And guess what? The Clippers, the Cavs, the Celtics, the Heat all have very good defenses, and that's a huge reason why the Hornets are on this uh, four-game slide here. Every single one of those games came down to those teams' defense and just frustrating the Hornets, and they can't allow their missed shots and frustrations to affect them on the offensive end. And I'm sorry, affect them on the defensive side of the court, and it did versus Miami. Too many easy buckets for Miami as well. So it was just a frustrating game to watch because in the first half it felt like there was some hope and then they had a what a five point lead at halftime, I believe. Yeah, they won that third, or they won that second quarter by thirteen points. Wow. You know? Yeah, Miami does some things where it um they they just make you work really really hard for your shots, totally. and not only does that wear you down physically, but it also wears you down mentally. And you see a lot of standing around sometimes because. You know, you're like, okay, I, I can go cut here or make a movement off ball here, but Miami is so good defensively, they're probably going to stop the penetration. They're probably going to stop the cut. And then it's almost like you're doing things on the court for for nothing because Miami is so good at stopping that type of stuff. So overall, from a team perspective, there's not much to take away, but that's just kind of my quick hitter thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of questions on Twitter and they're good questions because like if you're not fully immersed in kind of like the ebbs and flows and the advanced stats, like it can be confusing. And like there have been really good questions from Twitter folks saying, why does it feel like this Hornets team uh, can get blown out like on any given night? And the answer that I've kind of consistently given and the answer that I still stand by is because when you have a situation where a team is, you know, a top five offensive team all year, a top five shooting team all year, but consistently, even though that defensive rating has, excuse me, creeped up just barely, and they have improved slightly defensively throughout the year, it's still a bottom six defense. And on nights where the Hornets don't make shots, and Richie, to your point, they are less likely to make shots against really good defensive teams like Miami. Charlotte goes 10 for 36 from three last night, 27% from three, 38% from the floor. When they don't make shots at their kind of like, you know, red hot clip that to be fair, they have basically shot out on the whole all season. But those nights where they don't make shots, like this team can get blown out and this team can get just choked out by like a mature strong, physical half-court defense like the Miami Heat. I mean, I don't have to rattle off the names, but I will. Like Jimmy Butler, Bam, P.J. Tucker, and Kyle Lowry. I mean, 
And then, of course, like they bring they bring Caleb off the bench, who's a solid defender. Yeah. Hero is not exactly what I would call a defender, but he plays his role kind of in their structure. And, you know, again, like this is just one of those teams that will put you in a vice grip and just slowly choke you out like a boa constrictor if you're not really making open shots, really putting stress on. Because like you said, Richie, they they do such a good job of closing off driving lanes, even when the initial defender is beat that you've got to swing it around and you've got to make open shots and make them pay. And the Hornets didn't do that. And that's how you get, that's how you get blasted. Sometimes it might feel like you're going through the motions because the the heat are just so good, but the over dribbling and the standing around like that, that, that got to me last night and I get it. They're, they're going to wear you down Miami. That is, there was a lot of players on the Hornets team that just couldn't see the basket, you know, couldn't see the ball go through the basket. And it was frustrating to watch. And it has been for these past four games as they've lost four straight here but the hornets are still above 500 guys they're still above yeah. 500 which is if you asked me back in um october if i would take a 28 and 26 record to start off the uh, the season I, I would have said yes we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In terms of the player observation, just kind of looking at this box score here, obviously Gordon yeah. Hayward has missed you know six games prior to these last two, but he has not been that great. <laughs> He's been very rusty trying to get his legs back. He was 0-7 yeah. from the field against the Heat. They even tried to get him involved in the first play of the second half where they used him as like a screener, and he slipped and got a pretty decent look from the floater range and missed it. And I believe that might have been his last attempt of the night. So, you know, for all the good and the praise that I've given to Hayward, you know, throughout the course of this season, you know, he needs to definitely step it up because he's obviously uh, an important piece to this team. The only two players that I felt like, I mean, maybe three, Rozier shot the ball decent from behind the arc. But Miles Bridges finished with 15 points on 6 of 14 shooting. Uh, the biggest thing against the Heat uh, as we become accustomed to with him is his ability to, you know, string together a couple of dribble moves, use his skill, use his power to get to the cup. And I thought LaMelo Ball was fairly decent last night. Uh, he only played in, what, 21 minutes? And, and we can yeah. get to that here in a second. I, I thought that was an overblown talking point from last night. But he finished with 12.6 rebounds and three assists. But Ubre didn't shoot the ball well. 
Hayward was 0 of 7. P.J. Washington was 4 of 8. And a lot of those makes came a little bit later in the game when the game was out of reach. So to your point, not a lot of players hitting their shots. And that's frustrating because that's where they butter their bread is on the offensive side of the court. Yeah, no, exactly. I think Hayward, you know, that's like, yes, it's disappointing. He isn't playing well yet, but I think he's very much working himself back into a lather. Obviously still don't have McDaniels, which is, which is like, feels like a small thing, but, but it's just really not when you, when you factor in one, his individual defense, uh, when you factor in kind of the, the flexibility he allows with lineup configurations and, and just bringing like a different type of beat off the bench, uh, especially on a night where you get, you know, you get bad Ubre last night, which as incredible and Hornets fans know this by now, but like as incredible as Ubre can be, he, he can be just as frustrating and inefficient on, on the other end of that spectrum. So it, w- it would just be nice on nights where you're getting bad Ubre to be able to switch the flavor and put some McDaniels out there. They can't do that right now. And, and then like the other thing is just, it, you know, Bam, Bam is kind of like the fully realized version of the type of player that the Hornets just have zero answer for, but they're even like, lesser versions of bam in the league that we struggle with as well like robert williams the other night it's just that bam is like a hundred percent uh realization of that kind of like hybrid strong athletic uh defensive versatile center that can finish around the rim that can put the ball on the floor that the Hornets just don't have like a personnel counter to, unfortunately. Um, and and look, the, there, there's a reason there's only like 10 of those guys in the world. They're really hard to find. Yeah. And so those are kind of my thoughts, I guess, just from last night, if you want to maybe move towards more macro overarching things, unless you had anything else. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, the, the team kind of waved the white flag to start that fourth mm-hmm. quarter when they placed um, some of the uh, reserves out there. And uh, I think a lot of people are making a big deal about Lamella only playing 21 minutes. But, you know, the, the team was reeling. He was pulled halfway through the third quarter. The team was down eight when he was pulled. He was never reinserted into the game because the game was over. But I, I think we should probably talk about probably the biggest talking point from last night that a lot of people on Hornets Twitter were discussing was the kind of confrontation between Borrego and Booknight. I actually got sent a clip from yep. a listener of ours, Brandon Belk, at Belk Forever. He's unable to join us today in Twitter spaces, but he actually sent an audio clip discussing this, and we'll, we'll use that as a jumping off point. So here it is. First off, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great Sunday morning so far and you getting over that loss last night and trying to feel better. Um, my first question is going to be, we saw the outcome of the Borrego and Boot Night spat, but who do you think was the the catalyst in making that happen? Do you think Borrego said something to him first or do you think James said something to him first? And then my second question is, do you think we're going to just pack it in and this is going to be the team we're going to run with for the rest of the season, which in my opinion is not going to work because when the playoffs come, we're going to be grinded to a halt. Or do you think we're going to make a trade and possibly push for further down the line? Uh, thanks again, guys. Hope you have a good day. All fly. All right. So definitely the, uh, the frustration boiled over on the sideline to begin that fourth quarter between JB and book. Book was inserted for the last 14 seconds of the third quarter, 
And then to start the fourth quarter, he was not out there. They placed uh, Ish, Martin, Ubre, PJ, and Richards. And so to the question whether or not was it instigated by Book Knight, was it instigated by JB, it, it's really hard to tell because as you're watching the game, uh, you just are in the flow of the game watching what's happening and the action on the court. But then you see over there on the sideline uh, some kind of back and forth uh, conversation that's going on between the two of them. And yeah, I mean, James Rego is definitely getting into it. You can definitely tell he was turned around talking to Book Knight and Book Knight stands up and he jaws back at him. I think it was LaMelo and Miles that kind of had to hold him back and he was escorted to the locker room. And I, I think, I do think this, I think it was an odd substitution pattern. Like why play him at all for those last 14 seconds if he wasn't going to continue playing in the fourth quarter? And yes, we we get the sense that, you know, the Hornets were waving the white flag. You know, why not put Book out there then? I mean, the only thing that I can think of, Lee, as to why Book Knight didn't play those last 14 seconds and then transition over to the fourth quarter was maybe because he wanted to play Ish Smith and he didn't like the Ish Smith-Book pairing for whatever reason, for defensive purposes. And by the way, that combo, I looked it up this morning, has not produced good results. A defensive rating of 119 and then a net rating of negative 21.4 in the 82 minutes that those two have played together. But at that point, did it really matter? You know, lineup configurations, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work when you're down by that much, when you only scored, what, eight points in that third quarter. So I definitely get the frustrations from Book Knight. And I don't know if it's necessarily just in this game specifically or if it's been kind of boiling and boiling and boiling to get to this point because he's a lottery pick that has not played a ton of minutes uh, for the Hornets this year. So my initial reaction was, you know, I don't think that was the best way to handle it for James Book Knight. But, you know, we weren't we weren't on the sidelines, so we don't know exactly what started everything. So what were your thoughts? And obviously anyone here in spaces, if you guys have any thoughts as well, we'd love to hear from you guys. I definitely have some thoughts. I think I'm trying to I'm trying to think how to like structure my thoughts and what would be the most effective way to to break it down. So the first thing I think I'll say is I agree with you, Richie, and the fact that so, so like in my, obviously I never came anywhere close to, close to touching the NBA, but like in my playing career, really? <laughs> yeah, are you sure? <laughs> um, it, in my playing career, the most tense and like explosive situations I ever saw between a player and a coach, believe it or not, were in these type of situations for whatever reason, and I think this is like coaches across the board. I don't think it's necessarily JB like coaches don't quite, I don't think understand how, and, and, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong on the player's part. It's probably wrong, frankly, because I should probably preface all this by saying James Booknight is no matter how old he is, he's a professional basketball player. That's how he makes his living. And he has a job to do mm-hmm. like, you show up and you do your job regardless of the situation. That's my feelings on it, like broadly. But what I will say is I don't think coaches quite understand how demoralizing and insulting it can be to put someone in for like 10 to 15 seconds. Like these type of things do happen sometimes either at the very, very end of a game when it's just complete trash time and a player has not been given an opportunity and a coach wants to put them in in the last – 27 38 51 seconds like i've seen tense situation because players 
they, they feel insulted. They're like, dude, at least give me two minutes to try and get out there and get a couple possessions. Lee, in. Lee just say it was you. Just say you went in there for 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, I will not confirm or deny. Um, and, and I've also seen it in situations like at the end of a half or at the end of a quarter when a, play, a coach wants to put a bench player in the game for the last six seconds so another player doesn't pick up a foul or something. Like that can create some tense situations. So I'm not alleviating, alleviating Book Knight by any means because of what I said earlier. Like he has a job to do. He's a professional basketball player. But I, I have seen this bubble up before on other teams because of this same exact situation. Players just don't like it. And I, you know, I do think JB probably should have had a little bit better craft, I guess, in, in trying to kind of like smooth the situation over. The other quick things I'll say about this situation is I loved Bridges' comments after the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles Bridges, who I mean, God bless Miles Bridges. Like he just consistently puts things in the right perspective. I mean, going back to Bridges' rookie year where, like, people on Hornets and NBA Twitter were trying to kind of drum up, like, social media campaign about Bridges getting snubbed from the all-rookie team, and Miles Bridges literally tweeted out himself, I was asked this year, I need to get better. Like, that's Miles Bridges, you know what I mean? And so Bridges made some comments after the game basically along the lines of, look, LaMelo Ball – had to wait his turn in his rookie year and he ended up being rookie of the year. Like my, we, like it's easy to forget LaMelo ball didn't start until basically halfway through his rookie season. Miles Bridges is obviously a massive example of a player waiting his turn, developing and eventually becoming like a fringe all-star. So, and, and you saw Bridges and LaMelo, like you said, kind of be physical with book night, pull him away. Um, so, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. It's frustrating. I wish it wouldn't have happened. I think there's probably a little bit of blame on both sides, but but those are my thoughts. So Book Knight has played 25 games here in Charlotte. If you're going to play him those last 14 seconds of the third quarter, I think you do need to start him off by playing in the fourth quarter as well. And I, I said this earlier in the season. I think that the biggest thing with Book Knight, and yes, he's a lottery pick, and I think many people expect him to play significant quote-unquote minutes uh, here in Charlotte but the biggest thing for me is like he's got to have a role whether that's here in Charlotte or whether that's in Greensboro he needs to be seeing plenty of minutes where he is working on his game and it just hasn't happened consistently enough here in Charlotte and to the opposite point that I made earlier he's only had five games in which he's played 20 or more minutes so a lot a lot of his games have kind of been in that like seven to ten to twelve minute range yeah, you're, you're right, Lee. I think there's probably some wrong in, in both of the parties that were involved here. Do you have any final thoughts on this? I mean, because I don't, I don't want to move on unless someone else has a thought, but he did have a second question that we can address too. No, I mean, look, my final thoughts would be this team has lost four in a row, a couple of them in embarrassing fashion. It's a long season. The Hornets have, and this is something I want to touch on later, but like the Hornets have, have had kind of, a very volatile season in regards to like win streaks and losing streaks. So you see frustration like this bubble over. Um, It's the NBA. It's 82 games. It's alpha dog competitive guys all in a locker room, spending a ton of time together. It's, it's, it's not the end of the world. Like this, this happens in competitive sports, particularly at the highest level. You don't love to see it, but like, 
all these all these kind of like Borrego's losing the locker room. Like I just think that's completely ridiculous. And if you go look at the Miles Bridges comments from last night, who is obviously a leader on this yep. team, that is direct evidence to the contrary of the of the claim that that Borrego or this staff is is losing the team. So that that that's my thought. Yasha, go ahead with your comment or thought. Yeah, I definitely um I, I like Book Knight as a coach. I mean, not Book Knight, um, Borrego as a coach. I'm, I think Book Knight needs to play more minutes. I also wanted to ask: um, is there any rumors or any um chatter out there that that they are looking for more defensive players or uh, a better big man or or more depth in that area? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll actually transition that question that you just asked and also the question that was sent in from at Belk Forever that kind of sparked this conversation where he asked whether or not the Hornets were just going to ride it out with this roster and keep everything intact heading into the trade deadline and, and just using what we have here or are there any rumors that kind of circulating here? Uh, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's always been that rumor with Miles Turner because they know that the Hornets need center depth, center help, and they need someone that has a defensive presence presence. Yeah, I mean, you never know with NBA rumors. I, I personally feel that uh, I kind of gave my like percentage, like 30% that I think the Hornets do make a trade. I do think that they're just going to ride out this roster for better or for worse. Like they're just going to see what they can get out of this team. I think the problem, I don't know if it's a problem per se, but like with LaMelo's development, with Miles' development, and with the addition of Gordon Hayward, it feels like the timeline for this team has kind of been sped up a little bit. So you're you're seeing this team perform and play against uh, some of the best. And, and they're definitely a team that plays up and plays down to their competition. So you, you start to see like, oh man, this team could be a top four, top five, top six team in the East. And then some nights like last night, you're like, yeah, they're definitely a 9, 10, or 11 seed in the East. I think that Mitch Kupchak is going to ride out this roster, and I think that's probably going to frustrate a lot of fans. But to the question, I think that they do need to look very hard at having a defensive identity and getting some players in here that have some defensive chops because that's that's the biggest issue with this team is the frustration on the defensive side of the court where opposing teams just get into the paint without much restriction there. So, Lee, I guess two questions to you. Do you think that the Hornets will make a trade? I think that was part of uh, Belk's question. And then the second part of the question, if you do think they make a trade, do you think it's going to be centered around maybe someone with some defensive abilities? Yeah, I at this point, I'm kind of leaning towards the Hornets are going to stand pat through this deadline. I think when we're in the moment, we're watching, covering, uh, enjoying slash frustrated with this team in the everyday moment, it's it's easy to uh, – to kind of think that the Hornets need to, to to make a shuffle, make a move. And maybe they do. Maybe they make a move on the margins. Maybe they even surprise us and make a massive trade. I, I, I'm betting against it at this point. Kupchak at the deadline traditionally has been pretty conservative in his general managing history. And the one thing I'll say to this is like, you know, maybe you start to think, ah, the Hornets are really limping into the deadline. They've lost four in a row. Uh, you know, all of a sudden they're ninth in the East. Like maybe that makes them more willing to go make a trade. I don't think that's necessarily true. And there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, I think in the macro, this team is still ahead of schedule. Right. Mostly because of LaMelo Ball's development. Mostly because the Hornets have a 20-year-old 
star on their roster right now, which is something that was hard to even conceive of two seasons ago. Uh, like, like two seasons ago, this team was thought to be the worst roster in the NBA and in complete and utter tank mode. And here we are. So it's easy to forget that. The second thing I'll say, and, and this is something that I tweeted out last night as Hornets Twitter was just, you know, a flame essentially, All the advanced numbers tell us the Hornets are a 500 or slightly above 500 basketball team. That's what's playing out here. The reason why everyone's hot and bothered and confused is because this has been a volatile team, violent winning and violent losing streets. Mm -hmm. So, so, so the, the, the conclusion of that is it feels a whole lot better than it actually is when it's good. When the Hornets are on a five game winning streak, we think we're a lot better than we are. Right. And we'll, and when the Hornets are on a three, four, five game losing streak, we think we're a whole lot worse than we are when reality does and always has lived in the middle. And that bears out. Like, look at the advanced stats. They're sixth in offense. They're 25th in defense. They're 18th in net rating. When you do the entire league standings, the Hornets are 16th overall, dead smack in the middle at 26 and 20 or 28 and 26. They're 14 and 10 at home. They're 14 and 16 away. Like this is just who the Hornets are. And the last thing I'll say to support this argument that I've been trying to make and trying to talk some reason and nuance into everyone, the Hornets for for winning streaks above three games or more and losing streaks above three games or more, the Hornets have six times this season had winning streaks of three games or more, and four times this season they've had losing streaks of three games or more. So it's just the way this team is built and constructed. And and Div quote tweeted my tree. Div is a friend of the program, and he said, "Yes, this the and and, and if you look at it in ten game segments, and this is what Div said: there's three stinkers and there's three like gems of games played by this Hornets." And when you look at those segments, it always ends up being five and five, six and five, four and six. So, like, that's the emotional swings we're all going through. And I know it's frustrating, but if you zoom out, that's what this team is. Dibs actually in uh, Twitter spaces right now, Lee. Dibs the man. Yeah, he, he needs to request to speak so we can get his thoughts. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're two games behind the sixth seed in the East. And I, I think that's just kind of crazy. I know that the East this year is, is bunched up, you know, from one to eight, from one to ten. There's not a lot that separates these teams. And I think that's probably what gives Hornets fans a little bit of hope because, to your point, Lee, because they have these winning streaks, because they are in the thick of things, it's like, okay, the, the trade, de- trade deadline is coming up around the corner. Let's just make this one move so that the Hornets can be a top six team. They don't have to worry about the play-in tournament. They can just get in without having to go through the play-in tournament. They're just, they're just so good that they can make it in the top six. But there are going to be stretches and games like last night where it, it just doesn't look good for this team. And it's always falling somewhere in the middle. To the trade conversation, there was another Twitter question that came my way. We got two more Twitter questions, and we will get to those and any speaker request as well. Who are the only players that are off the table when it comes to trades that we need to make? And he highlights need as <laughs> it seems like there there does need to be a trade uh, that occurs. <laughs> I think the list is just LaMelo and uh, Miles Bridges. Those are the only two. I think that are completely off the table. If Mitch had heard either of those names come up on a phone call, I doubt that that conversation goes too much further than that. They are the two young pieces moving forward. 
you know, if you want to form a so-called big three or a trio, I don't, I don't know if that really occurs here in Charlotte because of the, uh, you know, the big names that you're going to have to develop some of your own players. And, and they've done that with LaMelo. They've done that with Miles Bridges. So those are the only two players that are off the table for me. And, and one thing that I'll get to, too, is like with Bridges becoming a free agent this offseason, you do everything in your power to resign this guy. And yes you know, you're not going into the deadline thinking, okay, gosh, if we can't bring him back, should we go ahead and trade him? I, I, that is not crossing their mind. I mean, the good news is he's restricted. Charlotte has his bird rights. They can go over the cap to sign him to a deal. Will he potentially get the max? Maybe, you know, in that 27, 28, 29, 30 million range. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe they could have gotten him for something cheaper prior to the season starting, but miles bet on himself, but they're not going to lose him. And they're not thinking, hey, we need to trade him because we might lose him. They have the ability to go over the cap. And if they do lose him this offseason, they don't really have an ability to replace him in free agency. And, and, and they know that. They know that. So those are the only two players that come to mind that are off the table when it comes to trade talks. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I think you're exactly right. Like we could try and get cute here, but I, I, I think realistically, uh, those are the only two guys on this roster that Kupchak's hanging up on you on. Um, yeah. I, like, I don't think he wants to move a lot of these other guys, but the question is who is strictly off the table? It's Bridges and Lamella. Yeah. All right, we have another Twitter question, and he actually happens to be here in Twitter spaces from Daniel Tapp. If the Hornets miss the play-in tournament altogether – do you think a more radical retooling is appropriate? To me, this doesn't look like a team that's just a center away from improving. Leah, I'll, I'll let you uh, lead this one off. So if the Hornets just missed the play-in tournament altogether, like is it time to kind of like blow this thing up and start moving more pieces over the offseason? So the Hornets have a three-game lead right now in Washington in 11th. Um, so they do have a cushion, but not an insurmountable cushion. I mean, you know, I think Hornets fans and probably us have, have some PTSD on, on how the Hornets kind of limped into the end of last season. Obviously, a lot of that was due to injury, but 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 still, uh, still some scars remain, I think. Um, look, Atlanta's surging. Boston's been a little bit better. Toronto's surging. Um, obviously there are, you know, Cleveland is just like continues to chug along, even with all of their kind of injuries and, and roster construction issues right now, they just keep chugging along. So I, I say all this to say, we have absolutely been, uh, James Borrego defenders on this podcast, I think for very good reason. Um, we have been proponents of patience on this podcast, I think for very good reasons, but at some point, I do think we have to change our tune to a, to, a, to a degree, like to a measured degree. And if the Hornets were to fall completely out of the play-in and finish 11th or, or below in the East, which probably means the Wizards and maybe even the Knicks would have surged past the Hornets, who they have three and three-and-a-half game leads on right now, yeah, I think my tune would change, absolutely. I think at that point you're looking at – James Borrego as one of, I think, top five longest tenured coaches in the NBA missing the plan. I think that's a big, big uh, strike against him. Uh, not saying that they would go away from him, but I think all of a sudden that conversation heats up a ton. Yeah. And yeah, I think personnel, personnel questions. I think it all. Yeah, I think it again, other than like the main core that you said, like doing everything you can to retain 
to retain Miles Bridges and uh, build and continuing to build this roster around Lamelo Ball, who I believe is a future All NBA player. Other than that, I think I think things get real wild if the Hornets. And look, like again, to give the context, they would have to really bottom out here for, to, to miss the play and all together. But if that reality does happen, yeah, I think you're looking at a very volatile offseason from a, from a coaching um, and personnel standpoint. No doubt about it in my mind. I just pulled up the remaining strength of schedule in terms of the opponent's win percentage. And the Hornets have 28 games remaining. It's so funny. The, the remaining win percentage of the opponents that they have is 500. There you go. The Knicks have a tougher schedule when it comes to strength of schedule. They've got a 528 win percentage for their opponents. But I will say Atlanta and Washington, they have a little bit easier of a path uh, Mm. remaining. It's funny. We talked about the second half of this schedule being easier for Charlotte than their first half with all the home games that are coming up with maybe a little bit more rest time. But it, it's going to be a battle down to the very last week of, of the schedule. And I, I'm not sure that the Hornets can make top six. I mean, it's, you know, two games behind. They're they're in reach, but realistically, it's probably going to be the seventh or eighth seed. I'm not predicting that they miss the play-in tournament altogether. But to your point, Lee, like if that does happen, there's going to be a lot of conversations uh, that happen yeah. over the offseason. But I do think that fans in general just might be overreacting and not just Daniel. I just think, um, you know, anyone that is watching this team right now, I don't, I don't blame you guys. Like, but just everyone just take a step back. They're 28 and 26. There's going to be stretches like this where they aren't playing well. And there's also going to be stretches where they go on some good runs and people's tune are going to change quickly. And that's the thing, Richie, like I'm not saying this is going to happen because obviously the Hornets are not playing great basketball right now. But they could very easily win four of their next five. And we're having, you know, the feel and the vibe is literally the exact opposite of the feel and the vibe right now. And because of the kind of winning streak and losing streak stats that I laid out earlier, like there there is evidence to believe that the Hornets will rip off four of their next five and be back in kind of that middle uh, pushing for six um, uh, place. So that's why I try to just, you know, Try to try to be reasonable, but at the same time, I do think it's a good question. Yeah. And, if, and if we are looking at a team that's bottoming out and and heading towards the bottom of that of the of the standings, then yeah, I mean, all sorts of conversations are going to have to be opened up. I think the timing of it with the trade deadline on Thursday yeah. is is really what's sparking some of this conversation too. Thanks. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to first off say this has been an awesome conversation. Pretty cathartic. <laughs> uh, after a bummer of a night. I just wanted to add a little context to my question, though. Um, I was thinking about this in context to the trade deadline. Something I think I'm going to be watching is what does uh, the Knicks and what do the Wizards do? Because they seem you know, to be in a desperate place. I feel like they could make a trade that may you know, really improve them for this last stretch. So that was kind of... Uh, I didn't have enough characters to get that all out, but that was part of my uh, logic in the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing with the Hornets, too. Like, we've noticed over the course of the past several seasons with Mitch Kupchak, like, he's very conservative in the way that he's thinking about this thing because he knows that LaMelo and Miles are young. So he doesn't want to mortgage the future and mess up that aspect of it. 
just going for it this year because he's always said he doesn't want to be like a seven or eight seed. He doesn't want to just, you know, make an acquisition just to, to kind of shore up the team for the moment. That's why when we did the trade deadline uh, podcast the other day, Lee, like I was looking at players that were locked up for several years and we talk about Nurkic as a piece like who could come in and be a benefit to this team. And he probably wouldn't require a lot uh, because of the fact that he's an expiring but that's kind of what I'm looking at. I feel like Mitch Kupchak wants to look a little bit further down the line. And the problem with this season, I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, like everyone is so bunched up. So it feels like the Hornets could, you know, potentially be a five or six seed, a seven seed, but it's probably going to be an eight, nine or 10. Uh, but to Daniel's point, I think the teams around them might be a little bit more aggressive, like the Knicks or the Wizards. And the Hornets very well could not make a move. But I, I still feel the Hornets are in better shape than the Wizards, better shape than the Knicks, even if they don't make a move. Let let the Knicks, let the Wizards, you know, overreact and, and go make a move. And who knows? It could hurt them this year and it can hurt them in future years as well. Yeah, I, I do think it's a good point, though, about Daniel. Like, th- there is a variable out there that is not just what do the Hornets do, but what do teams around them do? And that could go both ways. Like, Washington could decide that they want to add to this team and try and push for the plan. Washington could also, or, or more specifically, Bradley Beal could decide that he's ready to move on. So like it could go both ways where a team that is in competition with the Hornets either bolsters their chances or a team that is in competition with the Hornets blows things up for assets and is all of a sudden not in the picture anymore. So I do think it's a good point by Daniel. Like it's important to, to contextualize and consider the fact that, you know, there are moving parts around the Hornets that the Hornets cannot, cannot control. Um, What the Hornets can control is trying to improve their play on the court and getting all their pieces back in the lineup and having a strong finish to this season, regardless of all the noise and 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 willing themselves into being a a legitimate playoff team and by legitimate playoff team i mean being an 8 seed or above i think that's still very realistic and 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 a worthwhile goal for this team to to pursue obviously if you're 7 or 8 you're still going to have to work your way yep. through the play in but that to me is a legitimate playoff season being 7th or 8th in the east uh, is a good goal for this young team. All right, so the upcoming schedule for the Hornets, they've got the Raptors tomorrow. I guess if you're listening to the podcast version, Big game. it's tonight. Yeah, it feels like all these games are like must-wins. Oh, it's a must-win, it's a must-win. And, and then they lose it. Oh, yeah, the next game's a must-win. The next game's a must-win. This win. is what it feels like yeah. to matter, guys. Every yeah. game every game, every game yeah. is, is serious. And then they've got the Bulls on Wednesday and then the Pistons on Friday for their next three games. So just to kind of give you guys a look ahead, uh, it'd be nice to win two of those three games. But again, uh, with the streak that they're on, you know, I, I don't think people have a lot of confidence that they are going to win two of three, but who knows? So thanks everyone for joining us here in Twitter spaces. If you caught the tail end of this conversation, this ended up being about 45 minutes. So if you would like to listen to the first half, uh, the podcast version will be out uh, tomorrow for Lee. I am Richie. We'll talk to you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.